Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema for your free 30-day trial. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new episode of the film stage show the movie review podcast for filmstage.com as always i am your host brian j rowan with me today we have michael snydell hello we also have bill graham Woo! and a special guest here with us today to talk about the new film from writer director greta gerwig little women it's sarah michelle fetters hi thanks for having me Thank you for being here. Uh, would you like to take a brief moment to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah Michelle Fetters. I am the film critic and editor for MovieFreak.com. I also write for the Seattle Gay News and the Seattle Times. And I do my own podcast with Adam Gerke, uh, a local celebrity here in Seattle. And it's called Cinema Squabble. And we record about every two, three weeks. Awesome. That is a nice leisurely schedule that perhaps we here at the film stage show should really think about adapting. <laughs> Sarah, you guys cover a lot of movies on each episode though. It, it made me feel bad because we have at times maybe spent two hours on a single movie before and you get through like five or six movies in an hour. And I don't know how you do that. <laughs> well, our, our goal is, you know, both Adam and I were inspired by Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. And, and the goal sure. is to actually try to review four to five films in roughly 30 minutes, which we almost never succeed at, <laughs> but that is the goal. And then we usually have a topic that we're going to, that we try to, um, act like we're smart about for about 10 to 15 minutes because our, our the goal show to you know you want, we want it to be something you can listen to in the car or sure. on the bus so see that's, our goal is to not outrun the movie <laughs> i was about to say i think that my problem is i am used to a dc commute so like when i think of i want to listen to a podcast in a car it's like that thing has to be between one and a half to two hours well, that makes sense. I've been stuck in your traffic. Yes. And um, I, I was on a TV show once that was like, you know, we need we have 28 minutes because it was like public access or something to like talk about like four movies. And I heard that and I was like, are you fucking joking me? <laughs> Especially because it was me and my friend Dan Gavazdan who uh, has been on this podcast. I think people can tell that he and I have a lot of trouble staying on topic and exercising brevity. <laughs> But yes, we are all here to talk about Little Women, uh, the newest film, as I said, from writer-director Greta Gerwig. Before we get into that, the usual stuff, uh, find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Give us a rating on iTunes or the podcast app or whatever the hell it is now. <laughs> you can also email us, podcastthefilmstage.com. You can also go to patreon.com slash filmstageshow to give us your money. And with that, you will get access to our Slack channel. And also get first crack at all of our movie raffles. In addition, uh, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their fantastic curators bring you a brand new film for you to watch and enjoy. You have 30 days to watch. You can stream it straight to your smartphone if you're crazy. You can stream it to a smart TV, your PC, your laptop, and um, you can even download them. Now, what have we got going on on Mubi right now? First of all, 
Uh, Jean-Luc Dard's 2018 film The Image Book is a movie exclusive. We also have To the Ends of the World, which is the film of the day today. <clears throat> Here is the movie take. We were impressed by Guillaume Nicolou's stunning epic at Cannes and perplexed that it was not in competition. Sumptuous 35mm cinematography capturing both the exuberance of Indochina and the horror of war. This is a richly atmospheric, psychologically charged vision of trauma and revenge. So that movie has just entered the movie canon today. That means you have 30 days to watch. So sign up for a free 30-day subscription to movie right now by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, it is mubi.com slash filmstage. I do a quick uh, recommendation as well for Black Mother, which they recently added. It's from uh, Khalik Allah, who is an independent uh, filmmaker who got a lot of attention. But I, I must admit, I actually learned about him because he was one of the collaborators on uh, Beyonce's Lemonade film. Um, but this is a really interesting uh, kind of ethnographic uh, portrait of Jamaica, which is where uh, Khalik is from. It's a, it's a really beautiful uh, beautiful film, and it's it's not too long there too. If you're looking for a shorter movie, uh, one of these days that is also on movie, um, and it still has like twenty some days, but it's definitely worth a look. All right, excellent. And now, uh, if no one else has anything to talk about, we can talk about Little Women film in theaters now. This movie is an ab- ad of an adaptation. <laughs> Good start. <laughs> Look, I got through like four minutes of preamble without a real fuck up. That's, and, uh, that's, that's true. That's pretty true. good for me. Um, this is an adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's seminal novel um, about the March sisters who come of age during the Civil War. Uh, this movie stars Sir Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, L- Eliza Scanlon, uh, as yes. well as Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Tracy Letts. And many, many, many others who I will uh, not talk about at the moment. It is, I, I don't know, I can't, I, there was, I was going to name one and I was like, I don't know, is that a spoiler? Because when, when they popped up on screen, I was like, is that motherfucking, and then, you know, the name of the person. So I'm just not going to say it. And instead, I'm going to play a little bit of the trailer. I'm working on a novel. It is a story of my life and my sisters. Make it short and spicy. And if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end. Ow, Joe! I want to be an artist in Rome and be the best painter in the world. That's what you want too, isn't it, Joe? To be a famous writer? Yes, but it sounds so crass when she says My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. This is Meg. All right, so that is the trailer for Little Women. Again, out in theaters now. Let us talk about it. We begin with our guest. What did you think of Little Women? Well, first off, I just got to say, you got to love the like faux ladybird music in the trailer. <laughs> it's so true. And then, you, and then you watch the movie and it's got this exquisite, ornate, very orchestral, <laughs> old-fashioned Alexander Desplat score. And meanwhile, so the trailer's just that, like, do 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 do
amazing that this movie is about to make a hundred million dollars because <laughs> you would think that this movie was made for 12 was twee 12 year olds. Yeah. Um, I love this film. I think this is probably maybe my second favorite adaptation and I've loved all four of the main primary um, cinematic adaptations of this film. I think what Greta Gerwig does here is pretty extraordinary. And just from a writing perspective, I think her screenplay is just fantastic. Um, and I love, I love the, the way that she makes the material feel fresh and new and authentic for today's audiences, yet still play, pays um, respect and honors Alcott's source material, which is one of the great pieces of literature of all time, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I have little nitpicks here and there that after watching the film now four times, I feel pretty confident in those little nitpicks, which is one of the only reasons the film didn't end up in my top 10 or 15 of the year. But that does not make the film any less great. It's really wonderful, and I'm so happy to see that it's become a hit. All right, Michael Snydell. Yeah, you know, this was, um, I, I really like this movie, but I, I think it was really interesting because Little Women is something I have heard about, um, but especially with um, women I've known throughout my life. Like, it, it's just been, especially the 94 uh, Gillian Armstrong film uh, starring Winona Ryder, like, that is a touchstone for a lot of women I've known. And actually, my my girlfriend and her mom were a huge fan of it. So I, it was actually a really cool experience being able to watch it with them and knowing that they'd seen it dozens of times <laughs> and that uh, Christian Bale was probably a, a very formative uh, crush, at least for my girlfriend. Um, but what I think is so interesting here, um, I, like Sarah, I, I think this is really a kind of an incredible, incredible adaptation, even comparing it to um, – I, I want to get into just a bit of comparison. I won't take too much of this, but the the Armstrong 94 version is so interesting to me because it is – in some ways, it feels almost uh, cruelly romantic. Like uh, it, it requires – you know, it, it requires compromises from the women It, it and it is – it's not afraid to jump around and to skip over things and to let things really like to really uh, hurt. But what is so interesting to me about this version is how generous it is like this for so many of these adaptations, even going back to like the thirties version with Catherine Hepburn, like Joe is just the Joe just kind of looms over everybody. And this film, like, I'd say even for the first hour uh, I got to rewatch today, I was surprised how much uh, Sersha is like she's she's not the lead for a little bit of this film in an interesting way. And and as I understand Little Women, at least, you know, Joe, she is the driving force as the most independent and, um, you know, most uh, untraditional. But like. I, I still find this so interesting, again, how generous and just how this film is just bursting with emotion. The little grace notes, it it uh, had that uh, Gerwig finds as well as um, the very interesting structure that I go back and forth on because I think it's really 
in, like it leads to a lot of interesting moments, but it, it's I wouldn't say I find it confusing, but I'm not sure it's totally motivated. But I think this is um, this is really just like I, I I'm just kind of amazed how complete of a work this is. And um, even as someone who wasn't familiar with the story, I think it's so interesting the way it seems to be at once a a very um, Sorry, a, a very like good adaptation of this story, but also very much bringing out irrelevance in a way that like occasionally is cutesy, but I think it honestly completely earns. And I can't help but feel, especially the second time, the last thing I'll say is like, I feel like Gerwig, not only does she love this novel, but I feel like this movie was partly her way of being like oh you didn't think this was true literature like let me show you why this book matters to me and i i feel like the way that it argues that is um is really incredible yeah i i want to talk more about the structure i have a lot to say about this movie i'll stop talking i i really like this movie (laughs) all right bill graham so I'm I'm with Mike. Uh, I had heard about this uh, book and the movies associated with it, um, and I had never seen or or consumed any of it. And uh, so this was my first time. And so every now and then I would kind of lean to my fiance and be like, "Wait, what? What's happening right now?" And I felt I felt so confused and I felt so out of my element, which is perfect. Like that's, that's where I want to be. And that's where this movie put me at times. Um, yes, the story structure is a little confusing at times. Um, thankfully I think it's, it's Joe at some point cuts her hair. And so from that point forward, it's like, Oh, okay. I know exactly where I'm at. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, There's also a different color palette too. I I noticed that way more this time. Yeah, you'll you'll notice it on the second time through and, sure. and stuff of that nature. Um, but you know, for for us uh, measly folks that only have uh, one access point to this film, um, sure. did not did not pick up on that on the first time. Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it's just flat out so enjoyable. Um, there are some character beats that, that like certain uh, fair, I, I wouldn't call them well-known actors, but certain actors come into this uh, film that uh, feel a little dis- like disjointed. Um, but besides that, I don't really have a lot of quibbles with this film overall. Um, I really think that Gerwig has, has found something special and she's kind of mixed uh, mix the recipe a little bit, just like, uh, dare I say it, Damon Lindelof did with uh, Watchmen, where he kind of mixed with the recipe and just made it her own and really uh, made this film sing in a lot of ways. Uh, it's not treacly. It's not, it's not what you would maybe expect uh, from kind of this uh, winter release kind of targeted at Christmas and stuff of that nature. Um, this film is just, it, it just boils with emotion 
And I really loved it from beginning to end. And uh, especially the end, more more than anything. I think the end uh, gives you everything that you want out of this film and everything that you would want out of an adaptation of this story and uh, is really smart about how it kind of goes about it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking more about this. Uh, oh, also, uh, Florence Pugh is absolutely crushing it. Well, crap. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to be the guy who's who's the most negative on this movie. And I didn't dislike it. I think it is a fine movie. And actually, when I when I was done watching it, I, I realized that I am after Lady Bird, I wasn't too excited for and or, you know, I wasn't looking forward to whatever Greta Gerwig did next because I just I did not like that movie even a little bit. But after watching this, I was like, oh, wait, no, she's got some chops and I see that now and I'm actually quite looking forward to what she does next. But there's something about this movie that I just don't connect with. Um, for context, as far as like, you know, the source material, the, the closest I have ever been to little women is that joke in the Simpsons when Mo is reading the book to like sure. a group of orphans and it's about it. Um, so I had no <clears throat> expectations, which, um, as a person who has hated adaptations of books that I loved, I, I kind of sometimes like being able to come into a movie, not knowing anything. Um, but what's weird is that like while watching this movie, I still felt as though I had read the book before because a lot of the beats were so eminently predictable and not in like a hand of fate kind of way, but more of like this must be what's about to happen next kind of way. I think that having them all play the same character despite the age difference, because this, this is a story that's got some sweep to it. Uh, is is confusing and alienating in a way that I don't think serves the movie that well. Um, Florence Pugh is is great, but cannot, I think, play a 12 or 13-year-old, or should not. Um, and I just, I don't know, Michael, it's so weird, because you said, like, oh, you know, it felt like for the first hour that Joe wasn't in this a lot, but, like, I felt like she was the only person that this movie really truly cared about and that everyone else had to be accessed through her point of view to the point that it became difficult to connect with anyone beyond how Joe saw them, which, you know, as a point of view character makes sense, but it, it then kind of colors the way that you see them. Well, I think it's, I think it's very, I mean, I'll just say, like we could speak further about this, but I'll say, especially even compared to the other versions, as at the very least the Armstrong, and as I understand about the other ones, like this one, I would say gives far more time to everyone. Sarah, I I don't mean to just defer to you as our person who's read the book before, but is that fair? The other versions of the movie give more time to the other characters, or this version of the movie this gives version. more time to. This version of the movie definitely gives more time to the other characters, but I also, I have to say, I sort of disagree with you on um, your remark about Joe. This mm. is Joe's movie, and this is Joe's story, and I don't really know how much to say as far sure. as I don't want I don't want to give too much away to people that are maybe thinking of seeing the movie and haven't haven't yet and are listening sure. to this, but the reality is. 
this is all from Joe's point of view, which is what we learn in the last third of the film. Right. This yeah. is a movie that has basically been writing itself as we go along. Right. I don't yes. think that's a spoiler. It's one of it, um, it, it is in in its structure and in its form. And I don't know how true this is of the book. You know, it is a story about its own creation. Well, and then it's, that's one of the things here that I feel like Gerwig has radically reengineered. Um, and it's it's interesting to me that um, Shearer Ronan's first Oscar nomination was for Atonement, which is literally mm-hmm. a movie that is being reauthored by yes. a character that we do not realize has been reauthoring it the entire time Absolutely. until we get to that banger of an ending. Um, and this movie has, a, it has, there are some similarities. Let's just go with it in that way. Yes. Um, and for me, that is what makes this movie so great. This film along with pain and glory, you, you realize at the, at the very end, what you have been watching the entire time is a master mm-hmm. storyteller tell their story and not just their story but the story of their life and of their family and of their sisters and so it is all through her perspective it is all through her eyes because this is how she saw things but then you throw in the other sort of reinterpretations as far as what were the editorial constraints of the day um what were what were the pressures put upon her as she is writing this when does the fiction and the nonfiction come together and 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 does that sort of melange is that comfortable for her to be able to to finish off the story? And I, I think the answer for me obviously is yes, it ends up being, but there is compromise that happens and it and it it is really showcased in a speech that Joe gives Amy later on in the later on in the story. Sure. Um where this is pretty much all literalized and, and put into words in a way that it isn't in the book. Well, just to wrap up my own feelings, I guess my issue is that I don't find Joe to be a very interesting character. And I found a lot of her sisters to be people who I would have rather spent more of the movie with. And I and it made me curious to read the novel, actually, because a lot of times when when I when I have that feeling about a movie, I go into the novel and then I'm like, oh, here is all the stuff that I want, you know, because, you know, by by the very basis of of adaptation, you got to trim some things. It's just the way it's got to be. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I, I kind of I find myself wondering, like, I think I would like the novel more because I and I and I think if the novel were the novel I, I have been led to assume is is chronological. It is not the sort of back and forth that this movie does. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, it, the, the the novel is actually two. Um one volumes. is while while they're little, and then one picks up while they're a little bit older. Yes, from so my I'm, understanding. Yeah, so that I think that's what I you know, and again, I haven't read it, but I think I would. I think that to me, that just might work better for me. So I think it's almost like the modernization attempts, and we can get into it more when we when we talk in the spoiler section. Um, to I'm me, just, I'm just blown away that uh, I'm just blown away that. Neither you, you know, no high, no high school or college courses made you actually read this novel. <laughs> um, you know, it's weird. Uh, American yeah, literature not did not get a lot of workout from from my my college or high school courses. Um, I definitely read more English literature, honestly. Yeah, English literature weird. all over the place. You want to talk about some Austin? I can do that. I've had to read those books like twice each. I did a Victorian um, course. This was this is not contemporary with the Victorian. 
Victorian, correct? This was the Civil War. This is Civil War. Victorians. I think. Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh jeez. Um, <laughs> oh my. Oh, Michael. That's my dumb comment for. I'm going to stop talking for the a American minute. public school system at work. No, I mean, yes. I, it's it's. I have often said that like this, especially. 19th century American literature is a massive blind spot. Sure. It's just, it's, it's, you know, I'm certain that part of it is also like, we just don't vaunt women's literature, but like I read the awakening. I don't know why I didn't get little women. (laughs) It's so weird. Yeah. I think I I read the awakening as well. (laughs) I don't get it. Um, Isn't again, it like, also about 750 pages, though? So that that might be. Oh, that, that, that I mean, might be if that's true. A, then possibly, yeah. That might be a lot of a, a curriculum, which is obviously not well. I mean, spread across, but spread across two books, I guess. But like, I don't know. I feel like White Teeth was a pretty big book, but I still had to read that for a college course. But that mm-hmm. was a college course, and it was an elective, so I don't know. Um. But yes, I get I so like I I don't know. I have a lot of I have a lot of issues with this movie, the way that it tells its story. But I think that those are they are not faults of the movie in its construction, but rather the way that I interact with it. You know, like I think like it's it's like if I were to see a movie about it's like one of the reasons I haven't watched Moneyball. Cause I just don't think I'm gonna be super interested in that. You know? And I think that in some way if this movie had been more focused on perhaps Meg or Beth and to a lesser extent, Amy, I think maybe I would have, I would have found myself more. What? (laughs) What? Okay. We're going to have to, we're going to have to talk further then. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to explain my brain. That is a hot take. (laughs) That I would rather see more about Meg and Beth. Yes. Versus Amy. First of all. Okay. Wait, we're not in spoilers yet. So I, unfortunately, we're not. We have I have a lot of issues with a lot of the things in here, and I wonder how much of them are, again, you know, the way that, as Bill said, this this narrative has been remixed in order to fit this new structure and to kind of like come to a modern audience. So I, I'll be interested to hear more. It generally, I don't know how to recommend this movie. I, I you know, it's not bad. It's just not for me. And I, I'm I'm looking forward to talking more about it to hear how it was for all of you. And perhaps there is another version of it, or I just need to read the book that would actually like connect with me better. Mm-hmm. You would probably like the Jillian Armstrong one better. Yeah, Michael. Michael had said that to me at some point, and I really wanted to get a chance to watch it this weekend, but uh, I'm starting a distillery, and I had to work a lot, so <laughs> I just didn't have the time. But I am actually looking forward to to getting a chance to watch that. I've read a lot of uh, criticism about it over the last week or two after having seen this movie um, at my idle hours, you know, mm-hmm. going like to, to work and stuff, you know, trying to, trying to grasp what it is about this story that, that has uh, stuck with so many people as like a generational piece of literature. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I don't, I don't know if it's the, the, the dearth of, of literature written by women explicitly for women, about the female experience, but I don't feel as though there is a male equivalent of this book. I mean, the the obvious one is going to be Huck Finn, um, especially yeah. since I think they came out around the same time. Um, Huck Finn, I'm pretty sure, followed uh, Little Women by maybe a decade, maybe maybe less, maybe five years, something like that. Um, 
but I think that one's definitely, you know, uh, and uh, unfortunately, it's got a lot of uh, racial kind of uh, issues going alongside of it as well. So, um, you know, hard to read uh, more and more. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely a book of its time. And I think a lot of uh, I mean, so Huck Finn was apparently 15 not, years after Little Women. I was I was going to say Little Women's um, 1868 and 1869, and Huck Finn's 1884 and 1885. Isn't mm-hmm. the whole point too that there's not a male male parallel to this? Like this was meant to be something. Uh, I, I mean, not entirely new. Again, it, it, as Sarah kind of uh, briefly intimated, like this, there were economic constraints. There were such. There was so much difficulty in actually getting published as a as a woman to the point where, you know, she uh, where Joe at least in the novel uh, when she's talking to Tracy Lutz character she says that uh, this is her friend like yeah. like like there are there are so many levels of like lack of access and this whole right, and that's why movie I said isn't you know, in a way about, it might be formed by the the dearth of of women being able to write all that. I don't. I feel like I had a whole big preamble that basically made the point that you were talking about. <laughs> um, well, I mean, technically, yeah. Louisa May Alcott did actually write an unofficial trilogy with Little Men and then Joe's Boys, which are definitely more about the men. Um, although the women get a fair share of the of, of the narrative in those two books. Interesting. Mm. I had no idea. She had a she had a very like complicated. Sorry, I was I, I must admit I was only looking at her wiki page, but it seems like she had a a very like productive life of her own as like an abolitionist and a part of the Underground Railroad and um like uh, she was the first person to vote in like Concord, Massachusetts, like a, a really like very uh checkered is obviously not the word i'm looking for <laughs> a uh life where she did a lot of really interesting things that well, she's a joe right <laughs> there's a lot of her actual history that gerwig pulled from sure. for the last 10 minutes of the movie well it, yeah it, it certainly seems like you could say that those last minutes are they become a, a less formless reading of uh of the novel as i understand it okay interesting so yeah i'm i'm sorry that i'm gonna be the guy who's like well i don't know but like you know i'm trying not to i'm just trying to be honest with my experience well then no no one no one in this film wants to kill themselves so you know that's 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 what <laughs> we need to get i have so many jokes we need to get into spoilers um before we do that though is there any final uh non-spoilery things i mean clearly like there's a consensus on this podcast that this is a great movie that people should go out and see and i would by no means say to anyone that this is a poorly made bad movie that they should not see i'm just saying that perhaps you too will find yourself like me not connecting with it in the effusive way that my compatriots are I will say that for me, the most remarkable thing wasn't so much watching it the first time myself in a little screening room with just, you know, a few critics. It was watching it over Thanksgiving um, at my sister's house. And I was watching it with my sister, who's in her 30s, and her four kids, who range in age from seven to one of them just turned 14. 
And all five of them loved it for completely different reasons. <laughs> that to me was the most extraordinary thing was watching how this movie connected with, you know, maybe it's intended audience. I don't know. I mean, mm. but these four girls and one young woman just all loved it and watched it three times over Thanksgiving, which was a bit much. <laughs> but that to me was was really extraordinary to see, especially because only my sister Grace and only her oldest daughter Allison had been the ones to read it. The other three had no idea what they were sitting down for, and they wanted to talk about it, and they wanted to discuss, and they wanted to have these like little debates about everything that was going on in the movie afterwards. And for me, just as somebody that loves film and loves cinema and loves talking about it, to have like a seven-year-old get this engaged and want to be and be this excited and to want to sit there for an hour afterwards talking about, you know, why was Amy like this and what was going on with Beth here and why was Joe doing these other things, that to me is what makes this movie so special on a lot of levels, even with the things about it that I don't particularly care for. Hmm. And yeah, screener, I in no way season. want my my lack of enthusiasm to take away from moments like that. Yeah, I just screener, feel like I need to put that out there for Twitter. <laughs> screener season is a is a special time for for the families of uh, of our loved Film ones Chris. that it's, yeah that that get to see just you know hopefully uh, really nice pieces of work or sometimes you watch a dud and everybody just kind of <laughs> leaves the room. Yeah, I am. Um, I still yeah. remember when everybody in the room fell asleep during Trolls. What, what a what How a good fall asleep travel. during that shrieking nightmare. <laughs> I am um, hey, so that's, that screener was ridiculous. By the way, the the packaging for that it was <laughs> it was so elaborate. Yeah. Hey, I'm not gonna lie. Knives Out ended up in my top ten of the year because I ended up watching it five times over Christmas and realized I really wow. just freaking love this film. Yeah, but yeah it, was all, from, it was all my family's fault because they kept wanting to watch it over because they wanted to get the mystery. Yeah, you go from like, oh, that was pretty good to be like, is this a masterpiece? Like, <laughs> yep, they had the same thing with Crawl. Um, no, I, so I, I again, this is the time of year when my parents get to watch a bunch of movies that they otherwise wouldn't watch. Um, they really like 1917. I watched this movie with them. Um, they had some questions, which are funny, but kind of spoilery, so I won't bring them up. But when it was over, my mother said, well, not every movie can be 1917. You mean good is what you're saying. I guess she was saying that not every movie can be as good as 1917. Yes. I don't think she was saying Which that. is crazy because I'm pretty sure she loves this novel. So maybe she, maybe this is like it. Maybe this is the generational thing. Maybe I inherited my distaste for this particular version from my mother. That was my parents with sure. Ferrari. My parents are all about Ford v Ferrari. <laughs> I am. Um, I felt really bad. the The screener that they sent me was so scratched, and I don't know how that happened. That my parents could not watch Ford v Ferrari. So I feel like almost as though they are not actually parents during Oscar season because they haven't <laughs> seen Ford v Ferrari yet. Um, but yes, let us move into spoilers um, so that we can talk about uh, some stuff that happened in this movie and how it affected us and uh, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, uh, the second I saw Beth, I was just like, she's definitely going to die at some point, right? Mm. And I <laughs> felt... I felt bad about that because I really, there's a part, like, 
I, I assume that in the novel she doesn't appear as though marked for death immediately. She and does I, not. And I just felt like she is in this movie so on the margins and so quiet and angelic that I was like, her only purpose can be to die. And um, that sucks because I found her to be one of the more interesting characters in the movie. And I was upset at the lack of, of attention that the movie seemed to pay to her. <laughs> well, uh, just wait for the other adaptations. <laughs> yeah, is, is, uh, is she in there yeah. even less? Oh, yes. Uh, she's <sighs> she, she well, not that she's in there less, but she's so the adaptations in the book themselves, from my understanding, and, you know, Sarah, feel free to kind of chime in here, but they have a Beth and Amy issue generally because Beth usually is sidelined for a lot of things because she is kind of the she's going to be the emotional crux of a lot of this novel um, in any adaptation. And then Amy usually comes off as an asshole through and through throughout just about every single adaptation. Um, and, you know, w- when I say that, mainly most people's touchstone and what they're going to be referencing is going to be the uh, 90s film and not the, uh, I think, two silent movies. So, you know, um, which are, from they're what I understand... Silent. They're not silent, Bill. I was oh, going to say, oh, the okay, 1933 okay. is one of the movies that helped make Catherine Hepburn a star. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say, someone well, earlier so, said Catherine Hepburn, and um, I think we all know that's not Very, silent. very early films, though. <clears throat> there right? you go. So, and you've got <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth Taylor and Margaret O'Brien yeah. in the other one, so... Um, and it's in color. <laughs> noted silent <Okay>. stars. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mary Astor is in the, the 49 one as Marmee, and she is a famous silent star who worked her way into becoming a f- very famous talkie actress as well. But uh, yeah, no, neither of those are silent. Okay. It took um, me a while to realize that Marmy was their mother. Mm. I don't know if that's like a fault of mine or, or yeah, what. probably. Okay. <laughs> Cause I was like, Oh, this is their, like their father's gone. I assume their mother is dead. And this Marmy woman must be like their steward. I don't know. I don't know where my brain was at. did you think Hannah was then? I don't know. I literally what? don't know. Two stewards. <laughs> there's, there's a steward for every pair of women, of little oh women. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. It was very difficult for me to wrap my brain around. It also took me a while to realize that like they were not a wealthy family. They are not. Yes. They are supremely middle class in between the uh the family that they give their uh their christmas dinner to or christmas breakfast to and the ones that end up uh yeah helping them out as yeah, well yeah it really i really uh, I, it was helpful <laughs> to me from a production standpoint to see uh Lori's house where his grandfather lives and then to see what like the the people in the woods live like and i was like oh now i get where they are <laughs> yeah yeah. Firmly a, in the middle. <laughs> it's an interesting book in that it does talk about wealth inequality at a time when people didn't even know what that terminology meant. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything more with that. I was just. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> w- w- would you would you but, agree though that uh, most of the adaptations in the book overall, uh, how people kind of interpret, especially the Amy character, is that. Yeah. Like she comes off as an asshole and then Beth is mostly. 
I mean, in the book, it's a lot more nuanced than that. I mean, she mm-hmm. was a 12, 13-year-old sure. kid who acts like a 12, 13-year-old kid and who grows into a much yeah. smarter and better and more intuitive young woman. Yes. Um, she is more selfish. She is more needy. And, you know, at, at a certain point, you realize that she is going to have Laurie cuckolded for the rest of his life. Um, and I think that actually plays out probably the best I've ever seen it in this film. Um, mm-hmm. as, cause you just realize that Florence Pugh is going to have Timothy Chalamet wrapped around her little finger forever. Um, oh, so like you just mean like brought to heel, not that she's legitimately going to cheat on him multiple times. No. Yeah. Just okay. Right, yeah. I heard cuckolded um, and I guess I went to like the, <laughs> wow. the strict yeah. interpretation of that. The st- no, oh my! Well, it comes from the cuckoo bird, yeah, which yeah, goes at least yeah, you know. I don't have to defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> but in regards to Beth, I will say that the Beth storyline is one of my minor nitpicks with this film. In that, while I do think the nonlinear approach invigorates the material and emphasizes themes and aspects of the novel that other versions ne- might not necessarily have had the best opportunity to do. To do that, it does diminishes Beth's storyline. Mm-hmm. When you read the book, or when you watch, especially um, if, especially the uh, the thirty three, the George Cooker version, or the, and really, oh my gosh, the nineteen ninety four Gillian Armstrong version, the Beth subplot at a certain point you know it's coming, but it still hits you like a train. I mean, it's just devastating when it actually occurs. In this film you sort of know it's coming right from the beginning yeah. and it's diminished, even though there's this beautiful, beautiful little, um, you know, juxtaposition of scenes where we get to see Beth, you know, defeat one illness and then succumb to the other. And coming down the stairs with Joe. I think that what mm-hmm. Gerwig does in that moment is cinematically beautiful and metaphorically beautiful. Mm-hmm. I did not feel the same emotional attachment to what is happening. I appreciated the moment. Sure. I liked what she was doing, but I was not emotionally wrecked by it. Right. And it struck me best, as more clever than, than effective. Exactly. And I mean, it is my one main thing about the film that holds me back from like giving it that full, tender hug and holding it forever is because I just the 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 Beth storyline as good as it is at times is fundamentally weakened by the nonlinear presentation in my opinion no I, I think you're I think you're right and, and I think that might be a good way to start talking about this structure in general like I, I think the Beth thing I, I will I will admit that like the the ninety four like when the sickness finally comes I I do think that's a, a really beautiful moment but I will say I don't think that other than the the great scene um like I particularly like the two approaches to how she's given the piano in the ninety four and Gerwig's version and I found both of those like really uh, really emotional uh, melting moments in, in like because in the the 94 it's like everyone's there i believe all right sorry I, I, anyways my my point being though is that like um 
I, I think that the the Beth thing is really interesting in the sense that, that I did ultimately find how they foreground her being a, a piano player and particularly how that how her relationship relates to Chris Cooper, who, mm-hmm. you know, just in a in a wonderfully understated role and, you know, two scenes. Um like really gets to just that oh man just that's such a lovely directorial moment where he's just sitting on the stairs and it's slowly uh pulling out of the room and you see him on the stairs listening to beth play um and juxtapose that later on when he's outside the house and unable to go in chris cooper is the secret weapon of this movie i feel oh yeah that's what i'm saying one more man (laughs) <laughs> both both Chris Cooper and Laura Dern give extraordinary performances in just sure. such little bits of time. I actually prefer Laura Dern in this movie than I do in Marriage Story. Marriage Story oh, is like right, sure. up, right up her alley. It's easy for her to do. I mean, yes. and she's great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But this is far more subtle. And it just there's a scene with with Laura Dern. I mean, where she is giving out um, blankets and other yeah. items to. I, to either parents or returning soldiers and, and, and she's dealing with all of this and she connects with this gentleman who has mm-hmm. lost something. We'll just go with that. And sure. um, what she conveys just through her eyes is, is just phenomenal. And you look and you put that with Cooper in the two moments that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Cooper's performance in those moments goes through this range of adoration and tragedy and despair and love. I mean, all just in the moment. And you see it all through his, his the way that he moves his body, how he contorts his eyes. And he doesn't even have to utter a word and you feel it all. And it's, it's just really something special to see, which is why I wish that Beth's death meant more to me because sure. it means more to the characters inside the film than it did to me sitting there watching it. Mm. Yeah. I think it's, that I, I think the other Dern scene that I think is uh, just as strong is. I, I, by the way, I love the gesture that she gives her scarf, and the film doesn't linger on it. She doesn't say anything about it. But I, I love when she uh, comes back, and it's right before it, it's on Christmas morning, and and you see her just in the doorway. She can see, you know, her family, and she's just stealing herself before she goes to ask her children to give their breakfast. Like she knows it's a sacrifice, but it's just such a small thing from Laura Dern. She just pauses for a moment in the doorway, but it's such a nice touch. And I think there's so many just great little, I I mean, you already said it's it's body language things. It's just a sense of like things play out and people react to each other in a way that you don't get in the the 94 like um Brian like a good way to point out how it's different for instance is there is you see no scene where Amy and Lori resolve to marry they just come back and they're married like it's it's like at the end of the 94 version these things happen and it's it's almost seen as a compromise and like a cruel reality of it like mixed in with this romance. So it's just like, it's, it's bittersweet, but it's still so conflicted in like such an interesting way to me. Mm -hmm. And, and this one is, is interesting too. like, again, speaking to a totally different way to approach that you get that scene where, you know, Lori comes upstairs and in a really shitty move, (laughs) like, honestly, Amy should have been able to, 
to tell her sister that she was married to Lori, but uh, uh, Lori tells her first. Like, I, I really like how much this, uh, I, I'm getting off topic here, but how much this film emphasizes how flawed, for instance, Lori is. Like, he's he's kind of a, he's kind of a, a drunk, uh, like, kind of a, he's not a loser, but he he's trying to find his place in, in the 94 one. But I think that, they really emphasize like the certain selfishness and the like the cluelessness of Laurie's character uh, in a way that I find really interesting here. And, and you know, um, I, I well, th- I think I think that's that's interesting because he's juxtaposed with Joe, who outstrips him in just about every regard, right? Sure. And so, like, but Joe is going to outstrip just about any man in in any regard right so pairing him with her is is his fatal flaw in that way right he's he's never going to outshine joe and so that's also she sees him as a neighbor as a sibling like and Mm -hmm. she loves him more than anything but not that way well, he's also, I mean, he's essentially a Liberty gibbet. He's a frat boy. He, he, <laughs> yeah. he I mean, and that's, sure. and again, this is all before anybody really knew what those terms meant. Um, but Louisa, she wrote what she knew and that's how she saw her neighbor. Um, you know, he had all of this privilege. He had all of this, you know, he had all of this wealth. He had all of this opportunity and he wasn't doing anything with it. Mm -hmm. And that in a way is what she's trying to point out is that just because you have these opportunities, you can't just get by in life with those good looks and with those opportunities, you actually have to try to make something of, of them. And if you don't, then what, what point, what, you know, what worth are you actually? She, She has a, she has a famous quote that she shot back at a, I think it was a cultural critic at the time who was kind of uh, despairing, being disparaging against some of her later works. And she basically said that uh, praise doesn't, does, doesn't pay the bills or something along those lines sure. where she was, she was basically like, look, like I could write really crowd pleasing novels pretty fucking easy but that's About murder yeah yeah like that's not going to necessarily like you know uh her. yeah yeah and so it, it was it was interesting that she the woman herself right is almost a story you know unto itself uh beyond just uh, little women as as the two book adaptation right um she's a very fascinating character and i, I know you know mike already kind of went over a little bit of her <laughs> of her wiki and kind of her her background but uh you know she she did go unmarried from from my understanding as well um and yeah she she lived that life you know um so well, as she said, she wasn't afraid of storms because she was learning to sail her own ship. <laughs> well, I, 
Sorry, I don't mean to like belabor this, but just what I said earlier, I guess I want to clarify a little bit why I'm saying Joe isn't a big part of the of the first part, because you are absolutely right. Like the the way this climaxes and uh, the way that we see Pain and Glory is a a wonderful comparison, actually, which I hadn't thought of until you mentioned it. Um, Oh, yeah, they're they're very comparable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think of it. Yeah, it's a. Um, but, um, or Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh, jeez, That's right. <laughs> oh, man. What? I forgot about that. <laughs> the very end of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Are you still confused, Brian? I'm super confused. I don't understand the, the uh, when they're, he they're writing the book beyond the wall. Oh, oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> like the last two minutes. Okay. Anyway. <clears throat> Sorry. My point actually being, though, is I think that I I wasn't trying to say anything derogatory about it not being Joe's story, but rather that I felt that this film has time for all of the marches in a way that really felt um, impressive to me. And like and in a way that. Yes, Joe is like the driving force. And as you're saying, like as the as the film ends, like we see that, you know, the great novel that she was always meant to write was about herself and about, as she says, like towards the end of the film, who's going to want to read something about domestic life and struggles. And she's putting herself, Joe's putting herself down as a writer and her sisters are like, uh, you know. It, they they say that people will want to read that because that's not out there. And then you have Tracy Letts daughters bringing it back to him and him seeing the possible profit of it in the most mercenary way possible. But like, I, I guess what what I'm saying, though, is I I still think that as much as it comes back to that, I still think that this is a, a again, a really generous movie to all of its characters i i mean i think everyone gets a moment we've already talked about beth and I, you know meg is meg and beth were less interesting to me for the most part but i i think meg gets some interesting um scenes in particular with john i think the dress bit is good i think that that scene where Lori's kind of a jerk at that ball is has some interesting moments i i think that this feels like a movie that doesn't just want to center it doesn't just want to be about Joe. And I guess that's what I was trying to communicate earlier. If I, if any of my rambling makes any sense now, no, it, it totally, it, it totally makes sense. And especially if you go back again with the way that Gerwig sort of attacks the novel, sure. it, it's, it's what Joe wants. Joe isn't necessarily telling her own story. She's telling her family's story. And so if this is going to be a a movie that basically puts Joe's point of view first and says, this is who I'm going to be looking at, of course she would then be examining her sisters in greater detail than almost she examines herself, Um, which Mm. I actually really do like about the film quite a bit. I I think you're spot on when you talk about Meg March. Um, She is a presence in the other three primary films. Um, and you know, especially the 1994 one, she, uh, she, 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 she has stuff to do in that one, but she never makes as, as much of a mark upon the material as she does here. Yeah. Um, and she, and I don't, and in regards to Amy, 
I don't think any of the other films have humanized Amy quite as much as this movie does. They all love to emphasize how much of a petulant and selfish little girl she is. Sure. And then she grows up and she is fine-ish. Um, usually a little better than fine-ish, but, you know, fine-ish. This is a movie that actually attempts to humanize her and show sure. how that that transition can actually happen. Um and it's all because, of course, that's how, in this case, our author, Joe, would want to showcase her family. Well, I think that that does bring me about the next thing I want to talk about, which is that the age difference is something that is such a big conversation with all of these adaptations. Like it was it was interesting because I was actually trying to figure out how old Professor Bayer is supposed to be in the novel. <laughs> and Google was not helping me. And thankfully someone on Twitter uh, responded to me. He's he's apparently 40 in the novel. Yeah. Yet you have Gabriel Byrne who, you know, looks older in but he doesn't look 40. <laughs> and he's also, you know, kind of a fox given how I'm supposed Wait, to understand never- the character. Has he been anything, any other age uh, younger than 40? Gabriel yeah, I thought Byrne? Gabriel Byrne was born 40. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very confused. I can't, either, I can't imagine him young. All right. Either way, my point being, though, well, is you that, have to also remember during, you know, during this time period, sure. women frequently married much older men. I mean, this is not just, you know, something that Louisa May Alcott invented. I mean, this happened no, no. constantly. Yeah. I mean. No, it's it's not. No, I, I didn't mean that. I more meant the the fact that the adaptations have so much emphasis on these ages, and it's been something with this one as well. You know, you had uh, you had Kristen Dunst and um, oh geez, I'm sorry, who's the older Amy in the '94 version? Uh, it's not Danes. It's um, shoot. I have no means uh, of helping you with this. <laughs> it's Samantha Mathis. Thank you. I was Googling it. It wasn't coming up. Uh, anyways, my point being, You can totally though, see Kirsten Dunst growing up into Samantha Mathis. I think that makes, <laughs> that, that actually, that, that yeah. makes perfect sense. But I, I think um, it's really interesting, though, that there's so much emphasis on the conversations about, and this is something I've, I've had this conversation with my girlfriend, actually, is she likes Christian Bale more than Timothée because she's like, and I said, who would you want instead of Timothée? And she's like, Timothée in five years. <laughs> Are we doing this again? Is it Timothée? I yeah, thought it was Timothy, but just spelled like an asshole. <laughs> no, no. he hasn't hyphen over the E. It's Timothée. And Sersha apparently calls him Timmy. So that's lovely <laughs> that she doesn't, she doesn't wage into <laughs> or wade into that. <laughs> That issue. She's just like, nah, he's Timmy. I'm just going to call him (laughs) T-Bird. But my my point being, though, is I think it's, especially in this structure, even more so than a linear one, um, you are definitely drawing attention to the age differences. Especially after the second watch, I, I do think Florence Pugh does enough with the 13 and 20, but previously I found it a kind of awkward but i did realize this time that if it was linear we probably wouldn't be thinking about it as much but going from one scene where you know she's supposed to be or or, or, you know where she's supposed to be very refined and kind of shaped by aunt march um yeah aunt march yeah (laughs) aunt march and um 
and then the next scene, her going back to being more impulsive and and everything. It, it is weird that Gerwig, in some ways, is like courting controversy a little bit with some of her choices, which I I'm not saying is necessarily good or bad, but rather like I think that's part of the reason why this conversation keeps coming back about Florence Pugh. I don't know why the Florence Pugh thing, and it doesn't so much annoy me as that I just, I can't help but notice it because I mean, the reality is she's 20 years old. And so she's closer to actually being 13 than almost anybody else (laughs) in this movie. Um, So, I mean, it shouldn't be a problem. We've, we've had 30 year olds playing teenagers in other films and we don't, I mean, we don't, most CW shows, for instance. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. And Andrew Garfield was 30 when he played Spider-Man. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, it really shouldn't be that big of a deal. And it might I th- it might be another aspect of the nonlinear presentation. You could be correct about that, in that it just calls attention to itself when you see her as this persona that we have sort of come to sort of associate with her even Mm. with the complexity of her performances from lady Macbeth to midsummer to fighting with my family. Um, we've never really seen her play a character that acts that young. Sure. I mean, even lady Macbeth where she was 17 when she filmed it or 16, when she filmed it, she plays that character much older. Um, just how she's presented and, and what she does. And so it's it's just strange in some ways to watch her play such a petulant, whiny little child. Well, that's, I mean, uh, I just want to say that <clears throat> according to IMDb, she is actually 24. Okay. Okay. So there is that, uh, just to throw that there out there. But yeah, I, um, I, I don't know. I had a lot of trouble with that. There's a point when she's like, I'm in France now and I'm 20. And I was like, seven years earlier, she was supposed to be fucking 13. Like suddenly all of the things that she had been doing made a lot of sense, like burning her sister's manuscript and running out onto a lake so she could fall into it. Like I, cause I was just like, who is this full grown woman who is acting like this? This is unconscionable. And, um, and then I realized that she was supposed to be like 13. I was like, Oh, Oh, well, thank God, but I don't know that that works. Like that's that it it really it really it it honestly unbalanced a lot of the movie for me. Um just seeing her like that. And then like you said, Michael, seeing it bounce back and forth between the two, it was just like it reminded you of it. <clears throat> yeah, cuz it's like this is clearly not a 13-year-old. And like and the fact that they've maybe like took away her bangs or something in order to make her seem older at some point I was just like, this is just not working for me at all. And it's constantly reminding me that like it, she's one wardrobe change away from playing someone who is like just barely pubescent. I don't know. It just, it just, uh, that really threw me off and it, and it honestly poisoned me against the character to a degree that I think is a little unfair to her because I am looking at a woman who is clearly in her twenties acting like a petulant, angry 13 year old and if she had looked 13, maybe I would have forgiven her that because I've been like, oh, she's young. She doesn't know anything yet. But my brain is telling me this full grown adult woman is being a real, a real terror to her sister. And I do not know why. And it's because she's uh, she's only 13 years old. Hmm. 
Well, I guess I'm trying to, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to pinpoint and clarify this a little bit. Like, I, it, it, it's, it, it is interesting, because I guess the thing that I just spoke to is, is something that was something that really disconnected you from the film, Brian. Like, I, so I, when, to kind of move on to some of the things, I get the sense that the structure generally didn't work for you. And I, I, I'm curious, what about Amy and Joe, you used the word alienating earlier. What, what about them? Can you, can you go into that a little bit? I don't remember using that word. Uh, do you do you recall what happened? That what I was saying when I said that was it about their relationship in particular, or no? I thought you said they were. I I, I might be uh, using the wrong terms, but you. I mean, you already suggested that you wanted to see more of Meg and Beth, and that you didn't connect with Amy and Joe. I, well, can you speaking to Joe? What what, what was your what I don't know. I point? just, um, I just, I, th- um, this is going to sound awful, but I want to couch this in. I feel this way about almost all movies about all people. I don't care about people's professional achievements. And I, I usually add art to that mix. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm watching this movie where Joe is, is trying to become a writer and has all these ambitions for that. But like, I'm, I'm more interested in the, the interpersonal longings and, and interests of, of her family. Um, you know, I, I found Meg with all of her faults, um, and her like, you know, struggling with her vanity with relation to how she let her heart dictate who she would get married to, to be very interesting. Um, I, I thought it was quite interesting how, how vulnerable and open her husband was about his inability to provide for them and the stresses that go along with having young children. Uh, who can say why? Um, that's a joke. I have a child. I realize that our guest may not know that. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I found, I found, uh, I found Beth to be interesting. I, I, I found it really interesting that she was kind of having this this like outsized impact on this incredibly sad man's life that she wasn't even aware of just through like her, her experience and her own desire to, to play music. And I thought that that was actually a very interesting, beautiful, intimate way of getting across the power of art in a way that just seeing uh, Tracy Letts's children wanting to learn more about the little women wasn't. And so I don't know, like I just, I, I, um, I just was never at a moment super invested in what was going on with, uh, with Joe on a professional level. And that was what she was primarily interested in. And then when she does kind of finally come to terms with her own loneliness in that great, uh, scene up in the attic where she, I think that the, the scene is sort of excerpted in, in the trailer at some point when she's like, you know, women are more than just their hearts. They're their minds and all this other stuff. And then she caps it off by saying, but I'm so lonely. I was like, isn't that interesting to, to see the way that this movie is kind of wrestling with how, you know, no matter what you do, whether you try to live up to society's standards or whether you like attempt to leave behind society standards, you can find yourself functionally 
just, you know, alienated no matter what and, and lonely no matter what, because there is at a certain point, this desire to have found someone to, to be with you, you know, in, in any aspect of your life, you know, and it doesn't come down to like, Oh, I'm trying to live up to what society expects. It's, I just want someone to, to care about me and to care about them in return and to, to feel bolstered in a way that you don't feel when you're alone with just your pens or your paints or your sculptured materials, you know? And then the movie sort of like actively rebukes me for, for feeling that way because when she finally, you know, is told by all these people who love her, who she is immortalizing with her words that she's in love with this guy and that he's in love with her, the movie becomes this kind of like backhanded giving you what you want but rebuking you for it because it's cutting it with the editor and everything becomes a lot more schmaltzy and kind of bullshitty and it's like it's like as though I wanted you know some ice cream after a really nice dinner and the restaurant gave me like the worst ice cream they could find and covered it in chocolate sauce and said here you go fat ass like enjoy and um I just found that to be kind of a letdown, you know, especially after she had kind of had that that moment in the attic where I was like, oh, we're actually going to take serious this thing that she herself has constantly found to be an unserious action, but that she may realize in her own life might be one of the more important things that she's let slide. But I don't think that's her at all. I mean, we're told that from the beginning, like I I feel like you then why are, ever say that wait okay can you because, could, because what, you, what do you mean that's not her at all what what is the that in that joe sentence? is meant to be uh, joe is meant to be uh, independent i, I think the very why idea, is she saying that in the wait, wait 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 because what, what i want have, sorry sarah go ahead because we all have moments like that we all say stuff like that at times it doesn't matter who we are it doesn't matter what we're doing it doesn't matter where we are in life we all have those moments where we are unsure of ourselves and we do want somebody to share things with. But Louise May Alcott ended up not needing all of those things. And she discovers that through her writing and through her process and through her creativity and her interactions with, with, with the world, she finds her connectivity with the people that she discovered as, as she goes forth as a writer. And that's not going to be the same as it is for everybody. And it's not going to always work for everyone. But in a way, that is the point of the film, is that it is up to us to author our own lives. And we shouldn't be beholden mm. to, what, to, to, to what other people perceive of us to be or want us to be. We should, we should sail our own ship. Um, well, and, I- that, and that, to me, is what the movie is saying. And, and yet everything still has to have compromise. Everything still has to have discussion and and you have a, an author who is smart enough to realize that if this work is going to be put forth into the universe then there are certain things that are going to have to happen to make sure that that occurs i think the thing <laughs> too is that the the notion i i see where you're coming f- from on on some level about the professional ambitions but i think the thing about joe is like her professional ambitions as Sarah, I, I apologize if I'm just rephrasing any part of what you're saying, Sarah, but I, I just want to restate that 
it is about find her finding herself th- through her writing like that is her coming into her own as a character it's it's not her realizing that she's in love with lori or realizing she's in love with Garel. Uh, again i i think um i, I again i i think that that is always the the climax of her of her story is getting the novel published. And I, I guess what I'd say about the, the, uh, yeah, like the final scene, which uh, is like very much even shot in this heightened uh, color palette. That is what's used in the past. Um, and, you know, shows this like schmaltzy utopian uh, school that Joe started and, and everything. And then, you know, uh, cutting back and forth between the more dour color palette and and this, like, I don't think it's necessarily punishing you for for wanting that happy ending or being or looking down at you for that. I, I think it's rather again suggesting that there's another another life to it and. I, I find know. it I find it interesting that you think that the school is not uh, is not a separate uh, idea because the way that I interpreted the last scene is basically the the kiss under the rain is the ending that the writer or that the publisher wants right he wants her married he wants her sure. to find love boom 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 done here's this nice little scene right as we're getting the joe you know interaction with the actual publisher right um watching the book being made yes and then we get the scene in the school which to me is the potential of her actual life at that point who maybe she followed the professor said hey look like you don't have anything keeping you in New York or here, but what if we started a school together and, you know, maybe we have a plot, a platonic friendship because that scene very specifically, I don't, I, you know, having only seen it once, I didn't notice a ring. I didn't notice any loving affection between Joe and the professor given necessarily. I think she brushes his shoulder, but she doesn't do it in a, a like, I love you way. It's just kind of, she's, she's very much like interacting with everybody. That's a crucial part of the school. And I don't see them looking at each other like they're married in a way. Um, and so I don't see that as necessarily part of the uh, umbrella storyline. I see that as something separate as a potential that, uh, you know, maybe she had a, a mutual friendship with him and that was it. Um, I felt that way until this rewatch. I, I, something that, that contradicts me or – I it's the the editing and the color palette feels um, again like the and as I understand it that last scene is in the book of all of them well all of them except Beth uh, or together dead Beth 
<clears throat> all of them except Beth with the children. Like as I understand it, that <clears throat> excuse me is in the book. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, it's <laughs> to be fair, it seems like the discourse has run away with this considering I literally saw is the final scene of little women and inception <laughs> situation. So <laughs> well, I, I think, I think what's interesting is that, you know, if, if you, if you want them to be together, they're together in that scene. If you don't want them to be at, be together, they're not together in that scene. And and it is kind of this beautiful, perfect amalgamation of giving the audience what they want, but not dictating it. In in my estimation, because it still feels while, like it's judging you for wanting that. Sarah, what do you, what is your interpretation? Of the ending? Or did you have any... I, I mean, I wasn't expecting that this was going to happen, but I feel like Bill and I have two different interpretations of the ending, which is not what I expected. And I'm now doubting my own thoughts. So I'm I'm just... Uh, I, I'm curious what what uh, any of your, your thoughts on, on this are. <laughs> well, I mean, I know we're in the spoiler section, but sure. I feel like... I, I just I hate giving away too much stuff. It's, no, it's it, it hurts me. Um, <laughs> Feel free. We spoil the shit out of movies, so this is meant for people. To be fair, and we have actually done like informal polls on this. The the people who are who generally listen to spoiler sections listen after they have seen the movie. Um, it's it's kind of surprising. <laughs> Well, and I mean, that's, that's, and this is intended. This is, this is the part of of discourse of film that, that is so frustrating to me. That's usually encapsulated in a review where a review ends up being a review of an entire film, but can't talk about specifics of, of the ending of, of the last half of the film. And (laughs) I feel like that's, that's generally uh, pretty fucking important. I, I always know, love like, those reviews like, where they're like, oh, God, uh, you know, like something happens. Yeah, it's uh, it's not, uh, you know, and it's just, it's, you know, it's like, oh, uh, like it was so and then it wasn't. Uh, I don't know. B minus. Yeah, I'm just I'm it's, just bummed that we're giving that we're doing an R rated recap of a PG rated film. <laughs> you should uh, listen our to our story, Toy Story episode. Our, our Toy Story goes real into the woods. <laughs> I think Monica got us doing explicit on that up. I don't actually know that. <laughs> Anyways, so, so I so you okay. look at the ending of the film, and uh, yeah, having watched it multiple times now, I read it that the end of the film is Gerwig giving the movie over to actually Louisa May Alcott, and that what we are left with at the end is that this has been her story the entire time. The story that she penned for generations of girls to hopefully enjoy and read and learn something from and be empowered by. So it becomes a fantasy at the end. Mm -hmm. And if anything, it's very similar. Again, like I said, it's, it's similar to atonement in that, at the very end of that movie, 
and again, we're in spoiler section, so I guess sure. I'm just going to do it. At the very end of that movie, we discover that Bryony has been lying to us the entire time. Sure. That the entire movie that we just watched was a fantasy. And it was a fantasy because it was her apology to her sister and to her lover, both of whom died in World War II. And she was never able to apologize apologize to them in life. And so she tries to apologize. So she tries to give them the happiness that they deserved in life for the remainder of history, mm-hmm. um, which is, I mean, and she puts it far more eloquently than that when you watch the film and you see her in the interview with the BBC and it's, it's heartbreaking and it's extraordinary stuff. It's also crazy just, just because we're talking about it so we never get to do this. It's crazy that they were able to adapt that novel that perfectly. Cause oh my God. when I heard that it was being adapted, I was like, but the whole end of the book is her talking about the book. Like, how are they going to do that? Are they just going to have her do an interview? And luckily they got uh, Vanessa Redgrave who friggin' knocked that whole damn section out of the park. Anyway, I'm sorry. I love that. It's also Anthony Minghella that's interviewing her. So, (laughs) Oh really? I never realized that. Yeah. Who is, you know, one of the great radical, you know, cinematic reinterpreters. (laughs) 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 So I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Um, but then you but you look at what happens when we see Joe at the end with Tracy Letts discussing the book sure. and the give and take that has to happen for this book to be published. We realize that the entire movie has been inside her brain the entire time and that the end is a fantasy, but it is an empowering fantasy that is supposed mm. to give hope to the readers that they can get more out of life than just being wed off to a wealthy man, which is in many ways the point of all three of these books is that life is more than just, you know, what is expected of you. It is what you make of it. Um, Again, it's it's why I also adore the ending of Pain and Glory because Pain and Glory, we discovered that the entire movie has been in in, in Antonio Banderas's head the entire time that we've only, that half of the film hasn't actually been playing out as history. It's his version of the history. It's sure. it's his it's his reinterpretation of what his relationship with his mother was and how that has creatively, you know, re-sparked his passion. Um and then, you know, half the movie is his relationship with the actor, which is actually playing out. Um now I just want to rewatch Pain and Glory, honestly. <laughs> I want to rewatch Game of Thrones. <laughs> No, you don't. <laughs> Actually, I really want to reread Atonement. Yeah, well, that book is just so good. It's such a damn good um, book. But that, but for me, that is the way this movie plays out. Is that it is about how we create art, how we tell stories. What is the process of uh, of bringing these things to life and showing them to the world, and the choices that we make when we finish these when, when we finish these stories. Yeah, no, I I think that's a I think that's a, a beautiful way to put it. I I think that the I, I I don't know. I I think that there is still I think that empowering fantasy makes a lot of sense, but I think it is nonetheless a little bit odd that Bill and I both wondered or are, are on opposite sides of whether the Garel sequence was 
was um which again is less important obviously than the main message but i i i do think there this feels so unusual compared to uh, even the 94 one. Like, I, I guess I'm partly looking at it in relation to that one. I mean, I already spoke about how abruptly everything happens at the end from Bess's death to um, Amy and Lori getting married to then uh, Professor uh, for, from Gabriel Byrne coming and she realizing she loves him. And then I think it's, I think it's right to credits there, actually. Um, Pretty much. Yeah, but like that it's it's fascinating to me that this is the same source material and yet they can again it just goes back to i'm i'm just amazed by the ways that both of those adaptations feel so incredibly different while having the same core well i mean that's i don't i that's all adaptation isn't it like i mean almost every time that someone does something new with a movie like you know, unless, unless it's Zack Snyder. <laughs> I was going to say, unless it's the Lion King, but okay. <laughs> but that's, I mean, well, the Lion King is its own <sighs> evil demon spawn. But like almost every time someone gets their hands on a movie and they're like, we're doing it new, we're doing it in a new way. And I feel like a lot of times that. Does a re release yeah. of Lion King really count as a new movie, though? <laughs> a wor- like, it's what's weird is how much worse it looks this time. <laughs> they must have dropped the film on the floor. And they um, released it in 3D a few years ago, and that looked better. <laughs> I'm still furious that they made Be Prepared, like, just a small yeah. speech that he, like, sort of half <laughs> sings at the end, as though he were, like, drunk at a wedding giving a toast. Uh, God, that movie's a bummer. <laughs> why, why, would we, why, are we, why are we talking about it? I don't um, know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's just... I, not, to take nothing away from this adaptation i just think it's it's weird that like it's almost as though you've never seen two different versions of a movie made or a, of a book made into a movie that's that's what i'm saying yes you're it's right just, it's just like because that's one of my that's that's legitimately my favorite like people are always like oh like even with this movie they said like we just had one in 1994 like why do we need another one and it's like because people do different things and that's awesome like i love like if someone tomorrow told me that someone else was going to make a movie of atonement, as much as I love atonement and atonement, I'd still be down for more atonement because I think it would be interesting to see what someone else would do. Like what they would, which they atonement would is your, is your favorite. Is it atonement or is it atonement? It's definitely <laughs> atonement. Uh, but I, I'm always, uh, allowing for another atonement to sweep in and, uh, pick up the title of top atonement. Did you see Oscar Isaac is going to be in a new movie called or based on a source material called Ex Machina? I read that (laughs) headline and my brain exploded. I was like, what are they? So they're making like a sequel, but he, you know, but he died. No, it's something totally different. Yeah, but it's it's a different thing. And and they're naming it. They had to change the title for the movie. Because they couldn't be like Oscar Isaac, Ex Machina. And people be like, oh, I already saw that. The best thing is, is he he plays a superhero that doesn't use his powers. That's uh, that's going to be interesting for people. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's as Brian K. Vaughn, isn't it? Yeah, he's a he's a superhero who gives up being a superhero I, to become a mayor of a city. I have no idea what's going on right now. What's what, what's happening? <laughs> no, I, 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 we've is, took is, your atonement joke Isaac? and we made it real. Oh, okay. yeah. Right. As far as like your adaptation 
conversation. Here's my deal. How often do we get angry when somebody makes another movie out of a Shakespeare play? Oh, wait, we don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we just assume that it's okay to remake. How many goddamn make... Spider-Mans have there been? <laughs> well, that I mean, I think we can get angry about that. But... <laughs> we have. We rightfully get angry about that. Can I just. No more Uncle I mean... Ben deaths. <laughs> I just love the fact that Oscar Isaac is not only in another movie called the based on something called ex machina, but you just said he's like the mayor of a small city and he gave up all of his powers. So it's basically also show me a hero, which he was also in. I'm like, I'm in love with this movie now. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, who would you, let's, this will be my last thing. Who would you want to remake atonement? Sarah's a big fan. You can obviously answer this as well. I almost said John Hillcoat just to <laughs> you. Oh, Jesus Christ. S. Craig Zoller. Um, oh, oh, God. You know what? Kenneth Lonergan. Okay. That's my actual answer. All right. That's Manchester, right? Yeah, that's Manchester. And Margaret. And oh, Margaret. I love, I love Margaret. Margaret is one of the best films from the last decade <gasps> is that okay is uh, did, so did we did we talk about um uh <laughs> what, what's his face uh better call saul showing up in this no movie? we did not uh, okay. that was the guy who I little didn't women <laughs> yeah, love Bob was, i love i love bob odenkirk in this film so i mean <laughs> he's so good but i do feel like it's jarring, but not like it's, bad, but jarring. Yeah, it's jarring. And and that's that's as as much of a criticism as I'll kind of levy against it is it it feels like maybe Greta should have known better, but still was just like, fuck it. <laughs> like this is gonna drive some people crazy, but I love but him. I love and Bob Odenkirk. Awesome. My yeah. dad, so my this is just another one of those like Brian's parents respond to a movie. My dad says, the pretty boy doesn't have to go to war, but this 50-year-old does. <laughs> he's a priest. I mean, he, he's, he, he went to war. He's, he's there to, you know, he's not necessarily fighting. Oh, so that explains the other thing, which was, how is he able to marry his daughter? Like, I thought that, like, oh, back then gosh. they actually gave a shit about religion. Well, I don't know anything about this. <laughs> I didn't, the movie should have told me he was a priest. Either. He showed up at a pre. I mean, he shows up at the end when he's marrying them, and he's actually wearing, you know, priest garb. Right, but I don't know if like that. It's what is uh, what does that entail? Tailcoats? Well, yeah, I mean, he had the he had the little. I don't know. I don't know the what the collar. Term it was. He had the Are collar you talking about the white? Everything. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Okay. I don't, yeah, because I'm just uh-huh. like, he was a soldier and now he is a. And like, I was like, did he like oh. find Jesus on the battlefield or is like something happening he is, here like i just had no idea he's not necessarily a soldier but you know as anybody else on a battlefield and especially during the civil war he could easily get wounded but he is he is he is a he's father march he's not father as in he is their father he is actually father march but he's also their father yes and they call their mother marmy so like i don't know what's going on i don't i just i had no concept that he was a priest and clearly neither did my father and that actually answers many questions for us Sarah, I swear we actually watched this movie. <laughs> okay. I did watch this movie. I, it is interesting to me that one of the things that everybody keeps bringing up is is how they got confused by the nonlinear presentation. And 
and it never really occurred to me. I mean, I guess a because I like I said I showed it to my sister and her kids, and they didn't have a problem with it, and they were able to keep up with it, no problem. Um, burn. Well, that wasn't necessary. I wasn't supposed to be a burn. But I mean, I'm sorry. Um, but it it never really occurred to me that people that are either unfamiliar with the source material or hadn't watched any of the prior adaptations would have an issue with it. And I can kind of see listening to you guys and listening to other, some other people, I, I guess I can kind of see it now, but for me, it's a case of, I, even if I hadn't read it, I don't think I would have had a problem because you get the title card seven, saying seven years earlier and you can see the differences in how people are dressed and how things are shot. And so it's like, okay, I got it. Okay. I, I understand what Gerwig's doing here. I can, I was able to piece it back and forth. There were only but a there few is times. To, there is something to be said that that Gerwig definitely plays to people that are familiar with the source material. Yeah, I, and I, there were only a few times that I was like, "Which one are we in?" Because I I found it pretty easy to to pick up on which one was happening. Because at first I thought it was just like we're just doing full on flashback, and like you know, then I was like, I feel as though I have missed something. But once I realized. <laughs> that it was going back and forth, back and forth, I was able to hold on pretty, pretty well. Um, it, it occurs to me that I don't think my parents were able to pick up on it as fast, but towards the end they were able to suss it out. And um, I thought I had something else to say, but now I cannot recall what it was. Okay, I'll add, I'll add to it. Um, so I thought that the... Uh, who, Emma, Emma Watson, right? Yes. No, yes. not it, Meg. Yeah. Uh, the man that he married or she marries, uh, I thought that that was Lori's brother for a long time. Uh, <laughs> at least initially I had, I, for some reason I had heard that he was the tutor and then I completely X that out of my brain because he seemed to be in like a suit all the time, every single time I saw him. And so I forgot that he was the poor guy that she ends up marrying. And I was like, and at some point she goes to a ball to like be introduced to the world. Right. Which is mm-hmm. another thing that I wasn't aware of is a thing. Um, and totally a thing. It's coming out in society. Totally a thing, especially <laughs> yeah, a thing I, on the East coast. I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, and my fiance had to kind of clue me into that, but <laughs> I was like, I was like, wait, why would she, yeah, y'all need to watch some more period films. Christ. All right. Well, anyways, um, I was wait, very wait, wait. I thought I heard she... Gossip Girl. Yeah. No, I mean. That, oh, okay. There we go. Oh, yeah. sure, Gossip you, could, you could just watch Gossip Girl and get all of this. I've only <laughs> ever heard jokes about, you know, this is her coming out. But then also, you know, I read a bunch of I've read a bunch of old uh, Russian novels where that becomes a thing. It's like, oh, she came out last spring, and that is legitimately an episode in Gossip Girl, though. I (laughs) feel as though (laughs) I feel as though there's been there were like at least four jokes in Frasier about that. (laughs) Probably, and that's that's set here in Seattle. Anyways, so so my point was that (laughs) I had forgotten that uh, he was a poor tutor. And I was very confused why she was leaving. And I asked my fiance in the middle of the film, I was like, what, what happened to his brother? What's going on? And then he shows back up and I was like, wait, why is he back? I don't. So yeah, I was a little confused by that whole situation because I guess I didn't 
care enough to take notice of what he looked like since everybody else's face were <laughs> because he's so poor. familiar. No, because everybody else was so familiar to me that I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's the brother. Oh, like, okay. if this isn't an actor that I recognize, then clearly he's not going to be important. <laughs> exactly. I'm just like, I, I don't it, get it. I will say, I mean, I, I think that's a very amusing point, and I, and I kind of get what you're going with. But I will say on the flip side of that, I think looking at James Norton's performance, who plays John Brooke, I think it's another example of just how much um, Gerwig loves her actors and loves her characters because, you know, these, these films are typically shot out of sequence, obviously, because you have to for people's mm-hmm. schedules and how sure. things work and whatever. And locations. And, and yeah. if you if you look at Norton's performance and the stuff that is of him seven years earlier and then the stuff of him in the, the supposed present, it's – he looks – older he looks weathered yeah he looks he looks really beaten down in a way Mm -hmm. by life um and it's just this small little attention to detail thing that i actually quite love about the film that that gerwig didn't just have him look the same that Mm -hmm. she actually worked with him to be able to create these two different personas of the same guy at two different times that are wholly believable in my opinion yeah and when you watch Mm. these other versions if john brooke is a character which he's very rarely that much of a character sure he kind of still i mean he's like this poor school teacher and it's like you still look like the guy that was you know in the wealthy kid's house teaching him (laughs) um exactly it's just a small little detail that i actually really do appreciate quite a bit about what what uh, gerwig has done here Right, and it's yeah. things like that, and and you know, I've already said that I would prefer to watch a movie about like Meg or Beth, you know, that that make me feel that way. You know, it's not like I'm sitting in this movie and I'm like, I can't find a single character that I would care to follow, and so that's one of the reasons why I said like after seeing this movie, I I recognized within Gerwig's uh, talents exactly what what I could latch onto and what makes me interested to watch more of her output. Um, I do want to say just as like a final thing. Uh, we were talking about like things that confused us and or like issues that we had with maybe like the framing or stuff. Another. Oh, that's because Florence Pugh is supposed to be playing a 13 year old moment for me was wondering what the hell was going on in the school um, when she like draws a picture that gets her in trouble. Because I was like, why are these kids telling their teacher to draw? <laughs> To drop a mean picture about another teacher, and why is she doing it? And why is she getting caned for it? And now it all makes sense. <clears throat> so, like, there, you know, Michael, you—I think it was reverse shot. They sent out their, they did their two cents list. Yeah. And one of their things was like the best de aging technology, and they said Little Women, and I was like, well, I disagree. Because they were like, oh, isn't it nice that like just like camera angles and coloration and all this stuff. And I was like, no, because Florence Pugh is playing a 13 year old. And I was constantly confused. I don't know. I, I, I thought she was a good 13 year old. So yeah. she definitely is able to play the persona of a 13 year old, but not the it, again. I'll just say like it, it, it weirded me out the way that she was acting. And I was like, why is this, why is this full grown adult going up to this guy's window and being like, 
Um, my feet are so nice. I got caned. I can't go home. They're going to disown me. And I'm like, you're a, you're a grown woman. You got to learn to take some responsibility for your actions. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and again, it, finally, at some point I was like, oh, oh, she finally seven years in the future told us what her age was. And now a lot of things are falling into place. I feel like I, uh, no, it's, it's it, d- does this need a handout like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? <laughs> Please be aware that when she has bangs and those braids, Florence Pugh is playing a 13 year old. Yes, I'm Beth sorry. is going to Mar- die. Marmy uh, also means mom. Yes, uh, their father is, in fact, a priest, not his father, but an actual father. <laughs> He is both a father and father. Uh, <laughs> they are poor, but not as poor as the woods people. <laughs> uh, I think that's. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we're good. Yeah. Um, so again, <laughs> yes. and again, I don't. I'm not trying to say like this movie sucked because Florence Pugh was playing a 13 year old. I just want. I just. I don't even know why I said it. It was just a funny moment that I had with this movie. Hey, my favorite. Florence Pugh performance of the year was in flirting with my family. So I'm wait, really f- flirting with my family, fighting with family. <laughs> she does it's more the, than flirt. <laughs> it's, it's day, I'm going to blame the day quill. Flirting with my family is a yeah. much different movie, but still maybe, something that yeah. I feel like Florence Pugh would star in. Sarah, maybe don't look up any information about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I had a wrestling friend about it, and there's some choices that were made in adapting that story. Oh, we weren't just making more jokes about her calling it flirting. I thought we were making jokes about the flirting, but yes, I realize that it's not that true of a true story. Yeah. I mean, which is kind of how a lot of those things work. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, and now I just want to be like, let's talk about our favorite not true, true stories. No, no, no. Let's talk about Hidalgo. No, let's go. Let's go. Okay. Let's, hey, whoa, Mike. Uh, hi. Hi, hi, Bill. <laughs> Mike is stepping on Bill's toes with the we should really stop recording stuff. Um, but yes, that is our discussion of Little Women. Hopefully everyone <laughs> has uh, felt edified and seen by our discussion. Um, again, I did not like this movie that much, but I am looking forward to both reading the book and seeing what Greta Gerwig does next. After my like deep dislike of Lady Bird, I was like, oh, I, I'm quite happy with the the jump up in estimation that I feel in this movie. You just and really don't like rudderless characters, Brian. Like, I, Yeah, they, they annoy the you shit You really don't. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It annoys me. It annoys me on a deep level. Um, Francis I feel ha. like he was just probably never a middle class... Um, teenage girl also which makes it difficult it's a middle class teenage <laughs> boy so I mean like you know <laughs> um, anyways yes uh, that is all for today hopefully uh, you all have enjoyed listening to us next week if you haven't fall into a frozen lake <laughs> yeah. wow and don't don't have wow. your, your, your older Ooh. sister and the guy she is friend zoning there to save you <laughs> um Said friend zone is a joke. I realize that some people find that to be a derogatory term, and I apologize. Who gives a fuck? Come on. Because I don't feel like getting yelled at on the internet, Michael. 
incels are going to come after you. Actually, if incels no, didn't it's come not, after it's us the, for the Joker it's review, the, it's the then social we're fine. justice people who would be like, it's not cool to perpetuate the concept of friend zoning because that perpetuates violence against women, which in the wrong hands it can. This is out of control. We need to stop talking. Well, now you it's, made me feel bad. That's I am fake. super hungry. I spent 14 hours in a distillery today. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Okay, so um, what are we talking about next week? It will be either uh, a hidden life or color out of space or perhaps both. Wouldn't Weathering with you? Are we going to do that one at all? I, it is so, oh, there's so much stuff to talk about, Michael. <laughs> Maybe we can do one of these fancy episodes where we talk about it for 30 minutes and then do another movie. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we're going to have to fight for a while about a hidden life. Um, <laughs> 40 minutes on the way is it, that... Is, uh, it, is it still going to be in theaters by the time you talk about it? Well, that's my issue. I want to talk about it. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's gotten Disneyed, you know? It's yeah. gotten searchlighted. <laughs> kind of did. Yes. They're yes, not searchlight anymore, though. I yes, know. they are. They're still no, they're, they're just searchlight. They're not they're Fox just searchlight. searchlight. All right. I knew something changed. It's the it's Fox, Fox part. It's, it's 20th Fox, or no, it's 20th Studios. It's 20th That's Century terrible. Studios. Yeah, 20th Century Studios and Searchlight. searchlight. Oof, not Spotlight. Are... Yeah. Spotlight, my team. <laughs> and, and, Thank you, Bill. And the, the, the remake of Force Majeure will be the first one to be the Searchlight banner. Oh. Oh. Huh. Mm. Yeah, I saw, I saw the preview for that, and I was like, "No, that movie's so good, though." <laughs> yes, that is out on uh, Valentine's Day. Correct. So is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I am absolutely saying we should do that one instead. Hell yes, it's pretty brilliant. I have not seen it yet. I am looking forward to it. It's great. Well, yes. Um, okay. I keep Let's trying to end this, but we just keep talking. Uh, clearly, God, we like each other too much. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, go to patreon.com slash filmstage to give us your money. And uh, don't forget to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial of MUBI. Uh, remember that the ends to the ends of the world is on there, as well as uh, Black Mother, the movie that Michael spoke so highly of previously. Uh, Tower and the Nun are also both still on there. So there is plenty to check out. Uh, MUBI.com slash filmstage. Uh, like I said, we'll be back next week with some stuff. God only knows what it will be, how many episodes it'll be, and how long we'll talk about each thing. But we hope that you join us. Until then, let us tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time. We will start with our guest, Sarah Michelle Vetters. Uh, you can definitely find me at moviefreak.com. I'm currently counting down my 50 favorite films of the last decade. So check it out. All right. Bill Graham. You can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, enjoying the sweet sounds of my Frenchie snoring at night. And also uh, on the Slack uh, channel, mixing it up, making, making, I don't know. I don't know what I've been doing on there lately. <laughs> eh, you know, I don't know. Highlighting the we, random talking, opinions of strangers that we do not know. <laughs> we've been talking about some weird shit on there. So that's how we do. Yes, we have. Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me wondering if pickled limes taste good on Twitter at at Snydell. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd uh, giving random thoughts about things. 
And uh, I said the turning was out last week. It's not out last week. It's out this week. Uh, there's no critic screening, which means it could still be good. Mackenzie Davis is good. Uh, so expect to review at the spool on Friday or Saturday. Um, me, you can find all my stuff at, uh, brianjrone.com. Also, of course, the filmstage.com where you can ever, where you can find every episode of this, uh, here podcast. And, um, to see pictures and, uh, learn more about the distillery that I'm starting, uh, schmidtspirits.com. That is Schmidt with no C. Just because it's going to come up a lot and maybe visual aids will help you people. <laughs> Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. So, you'll need a man. I've been misunderstood for all of my life, but with the same girl just cuts like a knife.